This is Study Sessions, brought to you by Sex Ed Debunked. In these mini-sodes, we'll discuss a myth suggested to us by listeners like you. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Sex Ed Debunked to suggest new myths, provide your own show notes, and give us ideas for what to talk about next. Now take some notes. The study group is in session. And welcome to Study Sessions, a bi-weekly mini-sode brought to you by Sex Ed Debunked. Uh, on today's episode, I am once again joined by my dad and health journalist, um, Bob Curley, to talk about aphrodisiacs. Welcome back to the show, Dad. It's good to be back, Shannon. Are you ready to talk about ground-up rhinoceros horns and, uh, and <laughs> needle extract? Because that's what we got for you today. That's what we got. I mean, hopefully we start with some of the basic, more basic stuff. But I mean, I'm never, never opposed to talking about ground up rhino horns. Okay. Well, we'll start start with the basics. So an aphrodisiac for any of our listeners who are not familiar with the term is any food or drug or substance that arouses sexual desire um, and increases pleasure and performance. That's right. And the word is derived from Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. Because, you know, hedonisiac was too much of a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> and like the ancient Greeks, the idea of aphrodisiacs has, uh, has a long history. Like basically, you know, since the dawn of time, men in particular have been looking to improve their sexual performance and prowess. So yeah, uh, well, yeah. priorities, right? Like hunter, gatherer, procreator. <laughs> <laughs> kill the mammoth and find out why the why the gear isn't working right yeah ew <laughs> my mind just went in so many different directions with what they were doing with that mammoth husk um hmm. priorities so let's talk about it let's talk about the history because there are definitely some uh like more modern day understandings of aphrodisiacs but it goes back as far as like the book of genesis right <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And when you start researching um, aphrodisiacs, and, and there's a good study, a good roundup of all the aphrodisiacs, not all, but many, um, with, um, with some information on which ones have been scientifically proven or not. It was done by a group of Indian researchers in 2013. And I think we can, uh, we can share the link for that, I know, um, you know, after the show. But, um, but yeah, a lot, of, uh, a lot of natural substances have historically been known um, as aphrodisiacs um, in Europe, Asia, Africa, pretty much around the world. And the one that you just referenced, mandrake, actually was mentioned in the book of Genesis as an aphrodisiac, at least the scent of the mandrake flower. Although if you ingest mandrake, it's toxic and can kill you. Although Harry Potter fans might remember mandrake from, uh, gosh, I think it's the third second, third movie, I think. Third book, I think. They talk about the mandrake in the greenhouse. And it is also deadly, but... A little different because it's a screaming baby, which is kind of funny when you think about its history as an aphrodisiac that in the Harry Potter franchise, the mandrake is personified as a screaming baby. I guess it all does make sense. One thing leads <laughs> to the other, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the, so mandrake is one of the ones um, that uh, actually has not been shown to be you know, effective as, as an aphrodisiac. And there's a few others that are fairly well known, which I'll just mention quickly, is one called Yohimbre. Um, which is African tree bark, which supposedly increases blood flow and uh, to the penis and or vagina and, and also nerve impulses to the penis or vagina. Some of our older listeners uh, may remember Spanish fly from the 1970s. 
um, which was very, uh, very well known back then as, a, as an aphrodisiac, um, interestingly derived from um, the body of blister beetles. So, ew. Wait, how do you ingest that? What is that? Is it is it like a, a drink? Is it a what is it? I think I think it's a ground up powder. It could also be you know put into a drink for sure. Yeah, I think it, in fact, if my my, my hazy memory of, of the seventies, um, <laughs> everyone's yeah. hazy memory of the seventies. I think it was put into a drink, but I don't know. That was that was before my uh, before my time. <laughs> a little bit anyway. Um, and then, of course, as I mentioned, unfortunately, the ground rhinoceros horn, which is uh, one that comes from Chinese culture, um, which has the dual disadvantages of A, killing off endangered species, and also B, it's a myth. It doesn't work. So um, that's pretty unfortunate. Yeah. Um, bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Although there is something funny about the horn being horny. Well, I mean, and that kind of gets to the next point, which is that a lot of these things that are considered aphrodisiacs are not because of any particular chemical properties in them, but because they, like a horn, happen to either look like a penis or a vagina. <laughs> All that yonic and phallic imagery driving us crazy. Well, yeah. I mean, and so again, <laughs> and you know, as you know, Shannon, I spend a lot of time in the Caribbean um, and pretty much every island in the Caribbean has its own local aphrodisiac potion concoction drink whatever you want to call it it's uh, it's pretty common um to to have somebody offering you a drink that you know supposedly has these uh properties and one of them the bark of a tree called Richeria grandis in the local uh Patois. grandis huh well, yeah, there you go, right? So, and, and so, you know, and these are some French islands with French heritage. It's called the Bois Bande, um, which literally means erect wood. Well, you know, just to point out, this is not a uh, this is not a pattern that is you know outdated in any way. We still use uh, eggplant emojis and peach emojis for certain things. So humans are visual creatures and expressing the things that they want. Yeah, I mean, so in the face of it, yes, it looks like a penis. Let's just cut to the chase. But on the other hand, you know, what makes you think that's going to work? Um, <laughs> however, I will say that, uh, you know, and again, the, the Bois Bande is, is called Caribbean Viagra, and it's supposed <laughs> to it's supposed to improve circulation just like actual Viagra does. And you will find it served in a drink. Full disclosure, I know of at least one time that I had it in St. Lucia, and it seemed to work. So I don't know. Uh, it might have been the alcohol more than anything. Could have been the placebo effect. We don't know, you know, so... Well, and a lot of the research does say that the the backing, you know, behind a lot of this is merely placebo effect that people will eat something or consume something and, you know, oh, it worked, but did it work or were there other factors at play? Um, exactly. And, wh and while we're on that subject, you know, I made the joke that, yeah, maybe it was the alcohol, but um, important to mention that alcohol is one of those things that people often associate with more sex. Um, but it's not because alcohol itself is an aphrodisiac. If you even believe in aph aphrodisiacs, alcohol definitely isn't one because alcohol actually uh, reduces your sexual uh, sensitivity. So for men or males, um, alcohol depresses the central nervous system, which means it can actually make it really difficult for some men to get and keep an erection, which we all kind of know. Um, and then it also can prevent or delay orgasm. It also decreases... Um, the likelihood of orgasm for women or for females. So alcohol doesn't, is not an aphrodisiac. If anyone was wondering what it does do is it lowers inhibitions, which we all know, and it impairs judgment, which we all know. So if you find yourself having a lot more sex because you're drinking a lot, it's probably not because you are suddenly aroused or turned on or experiencing, you know, extended periods of pleasure. It's because you're simply making more questionable choices.
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's one thing with these other aphrodisiacs there, and most of them are not uh, psychoactive like alcohol. So that's one benefit. You know, some of the foods or, or um, other substances, whether they be extracts from tree bark or whatever, are, are pretty benign and common. So there's really no downside, for example, to eat, eat strawberries, which are thought to be an aphrodisiac. Um, and there's some other pretty, you know, pretty common ones. Most people have probably heard that raw oysters um, mm -hmm. have aphrodisiac properties. Um, personally, I think that might be a conspiracy to convince people to eat something with the consistency of phlegm. Um, <laughs> well, it's a really, really good marketing scheme is what it is. It really is. It really is. Um, chocolate. Um, I'm sure, you know, people imbue chocolate with all kinds of great things. Um, <laughs> yeah. probably a lot of wishful thinking. I think, uh, you know, it's what's, you know, cure cancer, you know, whatever coffee, uh, probably more so, you know, that increases your energy. Um, it's a stimulant, um, honey. Yes, dear. Oh, yeah. I couldn't really, yeah. Hi, honey. <laughs> I can't really think of a good reason why honey would be an aphrodisiac, except, uh, maybe those bees get busy. I don't know. <laughs> said busy bees. Boo. Bad joke. <laughs> buzzy, busy, buzzy. Um, and I know this is one that, that mom in particular um, was very excited about was olives. And again, the ancient Greeks thought that green olives uh, were an aphrodisiac for men. And in a rare example where people were thinking about women when it comes to aphrodisiacs, um, the Greeks thought that black olives were, uh, were an aphrodisiac for women. <laughs> right, because that makes sense that the green would work for men and black for women. But hey, you know, they were trying to be inclusive, so we'll give them that. Yeah, they were. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, as many chocolate-covered strawberries as you want to eat, there's very little scientific evidence that any of these natural items um, are, in fact, aphrodisiacs. Yeah. So that's the bad news. Um, but there is some good news. Um, and I mentioned that uh, that Indian study earlier, and uh, that, that team of researchers dug into a lot of the existing research that's out there. I'm looking for scientific proof that um, certain substances are, in fact, effective as aphrodisiacs. And, uh, and, they, and so they actually found a few, which is, uh, you know, encouraging. Although I guess when you stop and think about it, something like Viagra, you know, most drugs that we buy, you know, in prescription pill form are naturally derived on some level. Right. True. You know, it's, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not shocking that there are these natural substances that have been used for 20,000 years, um, you know, in folk medicine, mm -hmm. et cetera, that some of them would actually work. So, you know, there's a couple of different mechanisms in which we don't really need to get too crazy deep into the science, but I would say probably the two most significant and easy to understand ways that these things work is some are vasodilators, meaning they improve blood flow to places mm -hmm. that you want blood to flow during sex. And you can include Viagra in that because that's one of them. Mm -hmm. um, but also some of these other, other natural substances. Uh, and, and others raise testosterone levels. Pretty self-explanatory why that would, you know, increase sex drive and, and desire. Mm -hmm. And increases uh, uh, testosterone levels in all genders. Just as correct. a note, you know, we forget sometimes that testosterone is not purely a male um, hormone. Correct. So, um, oh, and I, you know, I, and I mentioned, um, I mentioned uh, rhinoceros horns and beetle extract. Uh, there's another one, um, which is going to kind of maybe freak you out a little bit. Um, but one of the ones that actually has been found to work is called Ambrian, um, mm -hmm. which is a secretion from the digestive system of the sperm whale that increases testosterone <laughs> concentration. Oh, Moby Dick, am I right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> let it begin. Let it begin. <laughs> I mean, I guess you'd have to have a lot of testosterone to go get that stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, but yeah. also there's probably plenty to go around in a sperm whale. 
there probably is probably is at least an entire football team. Um, <laughs> so, they don't need the help. Probably not. Uh, so there's a few others I wanted to mention because they, uh, some of them, you know, again, these were some that were found to be particularly effective. Um, there's one called Safed Musli, uh, which personally I'd never heard of, um, which is an Indian herb. Um, and when they, the extracts of this uh, have some testosterone-like effects. Mm-hmm. Um, another is called Tribulus Terrestris. Okay. Um, I don't know how my, how my Greek is holding up here. Um, but it's a it's a Mediterranean plant and uh, fun fact known as the puncture vine, which makes sense in context, and that also <laughs> is testosterone. Um, and a little more, and then there's a few that you know that will more commonly be found in your uh, in your spice closet, or you know, <laughs> you know, in case you don't have the secretion of a sperm whale in your spice closet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as old spouties not hanging around the house. Uh, <laughs> might want to get you might want to get some saffron uh which is which which you know is pretty well known again um as a as a as a as a um as you know first basically for its effect in improving erections um Mm -hmm. and then maca root you know again that's probably not one that you're going to find in your medicine cabinet but you will find it at our herbal supplement store um improves sexual desire in women and also, which is fun, uh, reduces anxiety, improves mood in women. So I think when you put those two things together, you, yeah. know, you got some, you know, got some potential. It's a match made in heaven. It is. A relaxed woman and a sexually desirous man. <laughs> One probably a lot more rare than the other. Probably. We won't say which. <laughs> uh, um, ginseng which affects levels of the neurotransmitter that induces penile erection, um, which is called NO, N-O. Um, so that's a little bit of a different mechanism. But kind of wait, wait. The neurotransmitter that induces penile erection is called NO? Yeah, weird, right? <laughs> You'd think it'd be called yes. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah, yeah. The puns would fly, you know, pretty hot and heavy here if we really wanted to let them go. Oh, right. You keep your ginseng hot and heavy tea puns to yourself. I will. I will. Um, And then Yohimbe, um, which interestingly was the first um, FDA approved plant derived drug for treating impotence. And it was actually goes all the way back to the 1980s, um, which I believe predated Viagra. Um, And as we mentioned with some of these other things, it, it improves the ability to stimulate blood flow by dilating blood vessels. So these are all, you know, some of these are more accessible than others, obviously, but you can buy a lot of them as herbal supplements. Um, And these ones that we just listed, you know, are the ones that actually have some scientific proof behind them. So even though you might want to run out and buy some strawberries and chocolate, um, (laughs) results may vary, but at least with the ones that we just mentioned, you could potentially actually see some, you know, positive impacts. And ginseng's pretty accessible and saffron's pretty accessible. So you do have some options. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't have to get particularly exotic to try some things out as an alternative to the, you know, to to the prescription medications that are out there. Um, you know, with the caveat, of course, that, you know, there's really no regulation of herbal medicines. <laughs> so whatever they say on the bottle, you know, the bottom line is FDA is not looking at this. Nobody's really verifying the claims. So, you know, you'll go into a, a herbal supplement store and it's going to tell you that this does this and this does yeah. that. But, you know, at least sure, here but it's like, you know, it's like, taken ginger when you have nausea it's if it works for you great and if it doesn't it doesn't yeah no harm no foul 
Exactly. Um, That's kind of the beauty of herbal supplements, you know, as long as it's not, you know, drugs. Drugs. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, drugs. You've heard of them. I've heard of them before. Yeah. So, you know, bottom line with the uh, aphrodisiacs, they, um, you know, as we said earlier, uh, men have been looking for a magic pill or plant since the dawn of time to improve their erections and sexual desire performances. Um, and uh, there are many, many aphrodisiacs out there um, that are based on herbal and traditional medicine. And, you know, you know, some of them, you know, are fantastical and some of them are based more on myth or or the appearance of a plant or a food than any particular ingredients. But, you know, when researchers dig into these things, um, they, they find that there are, you know, corollaries to actual medications. And, they, and a lot of these plants and these traditional um, remedies actually have roots in real science. So not to make, there's a good pun for you. There's a um, good pun. Yeah, that was perfect. <laughs> Loved that. Um, that was great. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, otherwise, um, you know, there's, there's some that don't work, but on the other hand, some are worth a try as a natural alternative to the little blue pill. Absolutely. So yeah, try a strawberry, try some coffee, try some maca root, try some uh, saffron, see the results. And Hey, if you do try them, let us know, comment, <laughs> you know, comment, send us a message, DM us, let, you, let us know how it goes. Um, but I will once again, reiterate and not to beat the dead horse, but alcohol not an aphrodisiac. Um, and you know, this month actually April is uh, national sexual assault awareness month. And so this is also a good moment to pause and say that on your journey to using other substances to increase your sexual desire and uh, pleasure. Um, remember that consent is always important, no matter what route you seek out in order to, um, you know, stimulate your sex life. You should always seek the most important food of all, which is fries which stands for freely given informed uh reversible that's not how fries is spelled shannon we're spelling fires that's okay freely given reversible informed enthusiastic and specific um so just keep that in mind that no matter what ingredient you go with always go with fries um, and that is our study session on aphrodisiacs which are sort of a myth and sort of true <laughs> It all depends on uh, on uh, which ones you choose. Choose? Uh, <laughs> good God. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show, Dad. And I'm sure we'll have you back soon for another session um, where we will inevitably throw more ter terrible, terrible dad puns into the universe. <laughs> what would the show be without terrible dad puns? Exactly. I was doing them by myself for a while. Thank God I have you. Yeah, be, well, it would be it would be extremely educational and helpful, and and you know why would we need that? So. And who wants that? Says America. Um, <laughs> all right, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another full episode of Sex Ed Debunked. And in the meantime, shoot us your questions, comments, concerns, topics, and I guess aphrodisiac success rate um, at all the socials at Sex Ed Debunked. See you next time. Sex Ed Debunked is produced by Trailblaze Media in Providence, Rhode Island. Our sound producer is Ezra Winters with production assistance from Shay Weintraub.